Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9 as we continue our series in Exodus entitled Free at Last. Exodus 9, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. The Lord set a time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. The next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now." Now, therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. So that they may be held in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all uh, the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I am 
I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hell so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. And so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the, upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart he and his servants. And so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord has spoken through Moses. <laughs> this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for uh, Your faithfulness, Lord, in this world. We thank You for Your salvation, which You have won for us. We praise You that you are the God of deliverance. We praise you that you are the God of salvation. And as we look together now at your word, Lord, and as all of us sit under the authority of your word, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would do that work in us through the power of your spirit by your word, that you would transform us and conform us to the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask it in his name. Amen. Now, there's a song uh, entitled, He is Exalted. It says, He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. The truths embedded in that song find expression in this biblical story of God's confrontation with Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. Uh, God re repeated his repeated purpose clause is now expanded in verse 14 in God's uh, speech uh, through Moses. He says, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. That, 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 that Pharaoh has exalted himself and by extension his own gods over the Lord is, is seen clearly in his consistent refusal to let Israel go despite God's faithful demonstration of his power over Pharaoh and his gods. Pharaoh refuses uh, to do what God's, uh, uh, God's nature as God demands, that is to humble himself and obey and, and Pharaoh, as, as I've been saying uh, in this sermon series, it isn't alone in this pride, isn't alone in this refusal to humble himself and obey God, is God. Yet whether Pharaoh will listen or not, he is exalted. The king is exalted on high. And the day is coming, brothers and sisters, when heaven and earth will rejoice in his holy name and declare that he is indeed exalted, the king is exalted on high. I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord does not place 
the accomplishment of this exaltation of his name in the hands of human beings. He does not place the exaltation of his holy name in the hands of human beings. He, he is not waiting on his people to decide to exalt him. He is not waiting on the, his enemies to decide to exalt him. He's not waiting on creation to decide to exalt him. He is not waiting on heaven to decide to exalt him. No, God's exaltation is rooted in his own actions. He will exalt his own name through his acts of judgment, through his acts of deliverance on behalf of his covenant people. And so God speaks to Pharaoh of an exaltation that is not going to come from what somebody does for him, but what he himself is going to do for his own glory. And it is this power of God to exalt his own name that is, that, that is actually the basis of our hope that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ our Lord. For the one who exalted himself over Pharaoh is also the one who exalted himself over sin and death through the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the day is coming where uh, that exalted name the name of Jesus will be equally recognized in heaven and on earth. For the Apostle Paul declares, therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, the story in front of us is a reminder to us and an encouragement that we are not the servants of a local deity. <laughs> we are not the servants of a god among gods. We are not the servants of a force among forces. No, we are the people of the only true and living God, the one exalted on high who rules and reigns over the kingdoms of this world. And God, brothers and sisters, wanted not only Egypt to know, but his own people to know who he was. Indeed, he wanted the whole earth to know who he was. And so, brothers and sisters, we all know uh, what it feels like when those who rule over us make decisions that are not in our best interest or refrain from making decisions that would be in our best interest. It's easy in those moments to feel like our lives and the lives of others are hanging in the balance as if the rulers of this world actually have the last word in whether righteousness will or will not be done in the earth. But our hope for a future filled with righteousness, justice, and peace doesn't come from those exalted to rule over this earth for a time. It comes from the one who created the heavens and the earth, who rules over them for all time. Amen, people of God. So in this text before us this morning, how does the Lord show himself as exalted? How does he show himself as the exalted one? In answering this question, I, I want to focus on plague eight uh, without ignoring plague six and, six and seven, I want to focus uh, in on the hailstorm because I believe that what God is doing there also covers what he is actually doing in plague six and seven and the death of the livestock and the festering boils. So again, how does the Lord, how does he exalt himself? Well, he exalts himself, brothers and sisters, in his power, in his power over human histories, in his power over human histories. Look again at verses 14 through 18. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. 
For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. We, we've, seen God's, we've seen God's power over the creation and, and by extension, his power over, the, uh, over Egypt's false gods. And since Egypt believed uh, that their gods controlled the created order, God, God displays uh, his power over them in the plagues. God has also already shown his power over Pharaoh and his administration showing up Pharaoh and his magicians as powerless to reverse what he is doing in the land. They, they, they simply couldn't do anything about what God was doing in their midst. But in, but in verse 18, God says something that reveals more about the extent of his power and his place as God. While what he says applies immediately to the hailstorm he is about to unleash on Egypt, it applies, I believe, as well to the collective of all the plagues that he has and will unleash in Egypt. He says this, I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded till now. In that, in, that, in, that, in that very last phrase, God is indicating something very profound to the Egyptian king and, and his people. He is saying, I know your story. I know your history. I, I am acquainted with all that has gone on in Egypt from the very first day until now. And, and, and if you want to get even more the theologically precise, I, I knew your story before it was a story. I knew your history before it was a history. And now I'm about, I'm about to insert myself into that story, into that history in a powerful way so that you and everyone around you will know I am the Lord. I am the Lord, not, not just over creation, not just over the, over the rulers and authorities, not just over the false gods of those rulers and authorities, but, but I am the Lord over everyone's history, over everyone's story. You can write whatever you want about yourself, <laughs> but at the end of the day, what I am doing, my actions within your story is ultimately what matters. In his commentary on this verse, Douglas Stewart writes, he says, the, the expression employed in verse 18, from, from the day it was founded until now, is apparently a Hebrew reflex of a, of a common Egyptian expression, usually translated since or from the founding of Egypt. The, the Egyptians, he says, were, were enormous, enormously proud of their long history as a nation and, and thought of other peoples as newcomers, Johnny-come-latelys, Johnny automatically inferior to themselves, whom they viewed as the original and central civilization of the earth. In, in other words, Egypt wrote its story the way many of us write our stories, with ourselves at the center. We write our stories individually and collectively or tell our history individually and collectively as, as, as if the most important thing is us. Everything and everyone else gets shaped around our perceptions, our ideas, our, our purposes, our, our value judgments. But, but God's intervening 
in Egypt's story, his inserting himself into their narrative of themselves was his way of saying, you, 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 you really don't get to write your own story apart from me. And not apart from what I am doing in the earth. If you do, I will come along in my sovereign power and I will remind you of this truth. Because what really determines your story is my authoritative, creative, judging, and saving acts among you. What matters is not your creation of a story apart from me, but my unfolding you into the story of what I am doing. And although God's intervention in Egypt's life at this point is one of judgment because of her oppression, Isaiah speaks of, of a new story for Egypt in the future, one that will be shared with Israel and Assyria. Just, just, just to firm up the point for you, he speaks, he speaks in Isaiah 19, verses 23 to 25. He says, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, our, our, our stories are meant to be enfolded into the Lord's story. And though he may insert himself into our stories at times and discipline, the purpose is to turn us away from our self-centered stories toward his own. Amen, people of God. And exalting the Lord, exalting the Lord, exalting the Lord means keeping him in his rightful place in our individual and collective stories. That is keeping God at the center. <laughs> when we try and define ourselves apart from the Lord, we end up promoting a very different narrative of the world. And that narrative is, is typically one where we and our interests are at the center and everyone else, if, if they even get a place in our story, they're on the outside. <laughs> But when God enters into covenant, when he makes Israel his own people, he, he tells her a story that actually doesn't start with her. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, not Israel, not Egypt, not Assyria, in the beginning, God. When that chapter goes on to tell of the creation of human beings, the image of God, it doesn't say God made Israel first and then everyone else. It says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That is, that is every human being was created to be an image bearer of God. But listen, listen to our stories. Listen to the stories we tell about ourselves the stories we tell about ourselves individually, the stories we tell about ourselves collectively. You hear about how special I am or how special we are over against somebody else. The root of all racial and ethnic domination is the belief that my history, my story is more valuable than another's. But God has acted, brothers and sisters, in his work of salvation, summed up in the work of Jesus to remind all of us that, that, that the one telling the story of who we are, what our purpose is in this world, and where we are heading 
is not us, it's the Lord. <laughs> Egypt has a story because God has written that story. <laughs> the Congo has a story because God has written that story. <laughs> America has a story. Black folk have a story. White folk have a story. Asian, Latin. We all have a story because the Lord himself has written that story because he's enfolded us into his own story. And he works to remind us of that as he works his salvation in the world. And so exalting the Lord means believing that, and it means living as if that is true, living as if he is at the center of my story and our story because he is. <laughs> Amen, people of God. <laughs> So how is God exalted? Well, he's exalted in the demonstration of his power over human histories, but he's also exalted in the demonstration of his mercy toward all. Listen again to verses 19 to 21. Now, therefore, sin, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurry his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. The dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. L listen to God's concern in these verses for both human and animal life. Of course, this indicates that, that in the plague of the, the death of the livestock, which we read, God did not, in fact, wipe out all of Egypt's animals. The word all, by the way, back in verse 6, almost certainly means something like all kinds of livestock, or livestock in all places versus every single animal. God had spared Egypt the devastation of losing all the means of their livelihood at this point. And, and now in this plague, he, he asks to save Egyptian life and livelihood through a warning in advance of what is about to happen in order that they might prepare for it. Though God, as he says, could have simply unleashed the full weight of his wrath upon Egypt due to her sin sinful and severe oppression of his people, God instead shows a tremendous degree of mercy, a mercy unearned and undeserved. <laughs> In this, God shows, he shows the glory and the beauty of his character as God. And I can't help but think of God sending, another story of God sending Jonah to Nineveh, a city that, a city that had also rebelled against God's righteousness. That, that city repented of their sin, and in response, God spared that city, speaking to an angry Jonah, his messenger who he had sent to proclaim his word. A Jonah upset over God's mercy, forgiveness, and love, saying… And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who, who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? <laughs> Only in the story before us, God, God's mercy it isn't shown to a repentant city. It isn't shown to a repentant king, but, but to a city, a, a king, and a people who refuse to repent. God shows mercy not to those who recognize their faults, but to folk who, who won't even acknowledge that they have them. Let me tell us something this morning. 
were it not for the mercy of God, no human being would be saved. If it were not for the mercy of God, no human being would be saved. For, for Paul testifies in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That, that's your story. Your, your story isn't you found God. Your, your, your story isn't that you became enlightened. Your, your, your story isn't that you got your act together. Your, your story is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, 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 you were not actually trying. But God, who is rich in mercy, <laughs> we, 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 got, we got one boast as Christians. We, we have one boast as Christians over against our non-Christian neighbors. We are those who have received mercy. I'm going to say that again. Your boast as a Christian is that you have received mercy. We, we ain't smarter. We, we ain't more powerful. We ain't more worthy. We ain't more noble. We are just those who when mercy showed up, we said, sign me up. And in the Reformed world, we don't even boast of the signing up because even that impulse is from God. <laughs> Even in judgment, God was showing himself to be a God full of mercy toward those who are sinful and stubborn. Though God was hardening Pharaoh, that is, keeping Pharaoh in that place where he continued to act on his own sinful inclination, God was yet merciful. God in Pharaoh, he was showing the lengths to which sin and its destructiveness would go, yet he was also showing the lengths to which his mercy and commitment to save would go. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve the God of mercy. I'm glad that I serve the God who, who even in seeing how far sin will go, yet will show mercy, faithfulness, and love to people who do not deserve it. <laughs> That's the story of my salvation. And it's the story of the salvation of all who put their hope <laughs> in the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, people of God. <laughs> and so exalting the Lord, that the Lord being exalted means praising Him as those who have received His mercy and who are receiving his mercy every day. And, 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 and exalting the Lord means practicing his mercy in our relationships with others. And this praise of God for his mercy isn't just something we do verbally, it's something we do with our lives. People who know that they have received mercy are folk who turn away from pride in all of its destructive forms. Pharaoh was receiving mercy, but he was too proud to accept that he was receiving mercy, too proud to humble his heart before God. And so every time God lifted the plague or, or showed him mercy, he, he went back to his oppressive practices. What about us? What, what about us? What, what, when that destructive pride rises up in your heart, do you remember that you are one who has received mercy? <laughs> before you talk down to that other person, 
before you boast over another about how much more intelligent you are than they, before, before you flaunt your material treasures before your brothers and sisters, before you put your hands on another person unjustly, violently, do you remember that you are one who has received mercy? Praising the Lord for His mercy shows shows in how we deal with our pride. It shows in our willingness to extend to others what we have received from the Lord. Ask yourself, how, how many of those around me would describe me as a merciful person? As a person who shows compassion even when it is in my power to punish. And my point isn't that people should never be held accountable for their actions. The Scriptures are clear about that point. So, so maybe a better question is this. Do I have a vengeful spirit? Do I take delight in other people's punishment? Or do I grieve that it had to come to that? If vengeance overwhelms my heart, mercy will be difficult, if not impossible, to demonstrate to others. But the Lord is exalted in the demonstration of His mercy, and we exalt Him <laughs> when we both receive that mercy and praise Him for it and practice that mercy in our interactions with others. Amen, people of God. The Lord is exalted in His demonstration of His power over human histories. He's exalted in His, in his mercy toward all, but He's also exalted in His, in his protection of His servants or his preservation, if you will, of his people. Listen again to verses 27 to 35, this, this part of the story. Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned and the Lord, the Lord is right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I, I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The Lord the, the thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I, I know that you do not fear the Lord God. And, and, and then, we're, then we're told, just, this is kind of that, to, to help us uh, uh, you know, know that not only this, that this actually happened, but the season in which it happened. Verse 31, the flax and the barley were, were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the amber were not struck down, for they are laid and coming up. So Moses went out of the city. Mo Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. There, there's, a remarkable, there's a remarkable ending uh, to, this, uh, to this eighth plague that, that brings home a point that, that has actually been demonstrated in all the plagues. Uh, it, it, it wasn't overtly uh, communicated uh, uh, until, uh, I believe, the, the third plague when the Lord makes the distinction between uh, Egypt and Israel. But, but it's been there all along. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, given the severity of this plague, does what he has done before. He asked Moses to plead for him, promising to do right this time. 
Even though his plea sounds more pious, Pharaoh actually has no intentions of following through with the promises he makes, which is indicated in Moses' words when he says, I know that that, that you and your servants do not fear the Lord God. Yet Moses decides that he will plead for Pharaoh. He will plead for Pharaoh, and he will ask God to bring an end to the hailstorm, a demonstration of the the same commitment to mercy he, he has seen in his God. So then in verse 33 it says, so Moses went out from the city of Pharaoh. Wait a minute. Moses went out from the city of Pharaoh. Wasn't the hailstorm still going on when Moses left the city? Of course it was. It didn't end until Moses lifted up his hands to the Lord in prayer outside of the city. In other words, to get where they need to go, Moses and Aaron had to walk through the storm. I'm not making this up. While the winds were raging, while the rain was pouring, while the lightning was flashing, while the thunder was rolling, while the hail was falling, Moses and Aaron walked outside the city. And Moses lifted up his hands and the storm ceased. And there's every indication that either Pharaoh and his team witnessed this or, or at least understood that just like God had preserved Israel from the plagues, making a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people, so he had supernaturally protected Moses and Aaron as they traveled through the storm. And, and the point is this, that God knows how to preserve his own until his work in them and among them is finished. He knows how to walk with us (laughs) and talk with us and make sure that we know that we are his own through the storms of life. He knows how to bind us up, bandage us up, comfort us and heal us and strengthen us when the winds rock us, when the waves throw us, when the thunder rolls and when the lightning strikes. In other words, he knows how to preserve us from storm damage and heal us when the storm damages. (laughs) I wish I had a witness in the house this morning. (laughs) And so, when we need preserving, he's a rock and a refuge. When I need healing, he's a physician and a healer. In other words, in other words, brothers and sisters, the storm can do whatever it wants to because I'm not in the hands of the storm. I'm in the hands of the storm maker. I'm in the hands of the storm regulator. (laughs) So as the the Reverend Milton Brunson and and the Thompson community singers sing toward toward the end of that song, Safe in His Arms, when when the storm of life is raging and the billows roll, so, so glad he shall hide me safe in his arms. So so glad he shall hide me safe in his arms. Moses and Aaron didn't walk through the the hailstorm out of some delusional sense of courage. They walked out in faith, faith that they were in the arms of the one who caused the storm in the first place. And I tell you this morning, we don't have to be afraid either, church, about the storms that will continue to blow around us and among us. We're safe. We're safe because no matter what happens, He's got us.
Amen, people of God. (laughs) The call here is to believe our Lord's promise, that we are in His hands and not in the hands of the storms of life. It's to believe that the things that we are going through, God is not, that, that in the things we are going through, God is not absent. He is with us. It's to believe what He said to Israel in Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And this promise, brothers and sisters, isn't a promise that nothing will ever happen to me or you. Rather, it's a promise consistent with what our Lord tells us when He's speaking about His sheep in John 10. In verse 28, He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. (laughs) My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You're in strong hands, people of God. (laughs) And so as a brother sings in another song, (laughs) my soul's been anchored. The billows may roll, the breakers may dash. I shall not sway because he holds me fast. So dark the day, clouds in the sky. I know it's all right because Jesus is nigh. My soul has been anchored in the Lord. Amen, people of God. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted. And I will praise his name. He is the Lord. Forever his truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. And that exaltation, brothers and sisters, is demonstrated again in his power over human histories and the demonstration of his mercy toward all and the protection and preservation of his servants. And we have all of that because of the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for your people that as they reflect upon these things, Lord, in these coming days, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen their hearts to remember who you are, to remember that you are the exalted king over all this earth, that it's not Pharaoh, it's not any of the rulers of this present age. You are the king. You are the Lord. You are exalted. And you are the one who is writing the story of history. And you are the one who shows your mercy and you toward all. And you are the one who preserves those who put their trust in you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. And we pray, help us to live in light of these truths. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.